2: It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commanders beat reporter Craig Hoffman.
3: Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson and Logan. In a couple minutes, we have an incredible conversation um, with with your former college teammate and one of the guys that Eric Bieniemy helped launch into. Borderline Hall of Fame career. Yeah. Uh, Maurice Jones-Drew is going to join us from NFL Network in just a little bit. But first, kick around a, a couple things, uh, and then then we'll get to the chat with MJD. Uh, first, the staff movement. Uh, real quick, uh, as we record this, it's about two thirty p.m. on what's today, Wednesday. Um, so we know that Drew Terrell is going to leave. We know that Jim Hostler, the senior offensive assistant, is going to leave. We still are waiting to hear on Matzka. There's a report from Jeremy Fowler that Zampezi, uh is probably going to stick around, but might not be at quarterbacks. Um, what do you just, what do you make generally of all the movement, especially Terrell, probably the brightest <clears> young <throat> coach on the staff headed out to Arizona?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that's great for Terrell. I think that's what you want. I think a lot of people were very um, critical of the staff and saying there wasn't a lot of kind of young talent. And here's an example of a guy who's young and very talented. And um, you know, I think there's, uh, you know maybe a little bit of like you know, why wasn't he promoted sooner or why didn't they try to promote him internally or give him an opportunity to work with EB but really happy for Terrell um, I think the remainder of the staff movement is interesting um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Sam Peasy I think they'll want to keep him around because by all accounts seems to have an outstanding relationship with Sam Howell so want to yeah. see that some more and then I think the big one is Matt Scow, you know like whether or not they kind of jive um, him and EB and whether the philosophies work because. Um, as much as people kind of forget about the offensive line coach, he's really your fourth coordinator, you know, your defensive coordinator, um, offensive coordinator, special teams, and then your O-line coach is usually paid and treated like a coordinator on the staff. So a very important position. Um, be interesting to see what that what happens with that over the next couple of days.
3: In terms of timeline, how important is this to get done quickly? Because the combine is next week.
2: Yeah. Um, it's not, I don't think it's as important because like, you know, I was listening to some, uh, a former GM d- did an interview today with PFF and he was talking about how they kind of lay out their board, um, regardless of staff, you know, so they're going to go through kind of multiple processes here. So Marty, um, and that team, the, the, the scouting department are going to kind of give everyone an evaluation, place them in a bu- buckets, regardless of position, you know, blue being that top tier player and, you know, top tier, regardless of position, so tackles, corners running backs who's ever in there and then kind of work down and then i think once the staff's in place which will be you know hopefully in the next couple of days next week maybe um they will start being able to give them you know assist with free agents in terms of watching film and kind of uh, completing their evaluation and also kind of finalizing their uh, draft uh, process of the prospect so all that stuff kind of working together not super critical now but it will be very critical you know, that this gets done sooner rather than later.
3: Yeah. I guess the thing with the combine is it's your first big interview opportunity. Yeah, it'd be nice everyone's if everyone's there. Yeah. And so, like, Senior Bowl, okay, fine. It's a very select group of prospects. It's better if you can have people in place, but it's not that big of a deal. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I didn't even care that Rivera wasn't there, frankly. Um, yeah. That That's fine. When you start to get to the combine, is when, like, at, okay, at this point, all your postseason stuff is done. It's time for the coaches to get involved in the process. Yeah. And, to have the coaches – it's not because it's not just, like, looking at the tape. And that can be done whenever. Look at the tape. Does this guy fit mm-hmm. what we want to do? But ultimately, especially for, like, a first-round pick, and they're probably looking O-line, so, like, deciding if is going to be the guy or not seems pretty important to prioritize. Like, these are – you only get, like, a certain amount of interviews at the combine. Yeah. Not that you can't bring those players in in your, your draft visits or go see them at their pro days. And there are other ways around it. It's not the end of the world. And, look, sometimes coaches and, and – front offices don't want to telegraph what they're doing. And so they're like, yeah, we're just, we're going to play hard to get. We're never going to talk to a guy. We'll do our background research and then we'll draft him and he'll be stunned. Uh, and like, I don't, I don't think I would go with that process, but it happens. Um, yeah. I, I guess but I, let do, me just, I do feel uh, like getting it in place for next week, it would be a huge coup. And like, I would be really pressing if I was the and Rivera to get everything solidified. a
2: hundred percent. But I'm saying, I guess what I'm saying is that like, it's not, it's it is a it is significant. I'm not saying it's insignificant because you want your O-line coach to have an interaction with some of the p- prospects in the draft. However, it's not the end of the world. I guess is what I'm saying. Like they have yeah. enough kind of tiers in place already. You know, from an evaluation standpoint, that you can trust Ron's opinion. You can trust Marty's opinion. You can trust the enemy's opinion because he's going to be there, no doubt about it, to interview some of these uh, prospects. So. As long as those people are here, like, would it be awesome if there was, if the, if the actual O line coach was there? 100%. But what I'm saying is it's not, it's not the end, it's not the end of the world if they don't have that guy. Would it be nice? Absolutely. But I think they have enough, again, like I said, um, evaluation structures in place at this moment that they can survive him not being there and still come out with some good evaluations.
3: All right. Last thing real quick before we get to the conversation with MJD. Taylor Luan released today by the Titans or will be released by the Titans, uh, depending on when you hear this and, and when the processing goes through. Um, Charles Leno's there at left tackle. Um, he's fine. Um, not someone you couldn't upgrade over, but you can do a whole lot worse than Leno. His number's not terrible. But Luan has is, is certainly re- been at a higher level throughout his career, mm-hmm. albeit the last couple of years not so much because of injury. Would you be kicking the tires on Taylor Luan and what kind of price tag would it take to to do that?
2: I would one thousand percent be kicking the tires on Taylor Lautner. I think he's an excellent football player. Obviously, the injury history is is tough to deal with, but he's one of the best athletes at the position in all of football. Um, obviously struggles struggled a little bit last year with some drop back passing, pass protection type situations. But I think I would definitely kind of see what he wants, see what he's looking for, because you never know the situation's right for you. Because I think I would guess he's probably looking for like that fifteen to sixteen million dollar a year range. Uh, that's just a total guess. I haven't looked up anything on it. You know, we just found, I just found out he was going to get released at right the second, but um, I do think that there is there's value there. Let's say it's at ten or nine and a half, you could get them for by some miracle, right? There's the market's not what he thought um, or what he thinks. And you can get him, like, get him in here, right? You can move Leno to right tackle, potentially move him to guard. You, There are things you can do to accommodate a football player like that. And um, again, the price tag has to be right. The situation has to be right. But I would definitely, definitely, definitely uh, explore that. You know, like I said, like even with a Derek Carr thing, you want to know what the market is. Because quite frankly, this offensive line class is, is relatively weak. You've got um, Orlando Brown, who is going to ask for a ton of money. You got Kayla McGarry, who I expect Atlanta to re-sign, but if not, kind of a very specific scheme fit in terms of run-first approach. Taylor Lawan on the market is, is a big deal now because it adds a little bit of depth, gives you some fe- flexibility in free agency. It makes you a little bit less reliant on the draft, and I think, if if it, again, if, it, if the situation's correct, I think that's the right thing to do.
3: That is an interesting thought to move Leno to right tackle because he's played some right tackle. If I'm yeah, I think he correctly. has correctly. I'd have to look um, it up, but yeah, I think he has. Uh, obviously, now people will uh, correct us if we're wrong yeah. in the comments because Leave that's it in what comment, the comment please. section was made yes. for. Um, but I mean, the thing is with Leno, like you could cut him and save a pre- if you do post June first, like <clears throat> save like ten million in cap space, and if that's what it take to sign Luan, yeah. I mean, Leno's Leno's an interesting contract to look at. Um, he's set to make twelve this year, set to make fourteen next year. Um, but the way it was structured, it's not terribly painful to move on. Mm-hmm. Um, you can either you can release him outright pre June one, save almost eight million, and have about four and a half in dead space. Post June one release. You have 2.2 in dead cap this year, 2.2 in dead cap next year, and you save 10 million this year on the cap.
2: Mm, well, so that is interesting. You know, that's kind of what they did with Morgan too, right? There was a little bit of dead yeah. money associated with that cut, and it ended up working out. I, you know, I think Leno's obviously catching a lot of heat, and I think rightfully so in certain situations. But I think overall, you look at him and you say he's a B minus ish, C plus left tackle, which is a passable grade at the position. And so I think you feel pretty good about him, you know, playing some football for you, especially at that number, given some things you have to do for uh pain in terms of extension. But if you get Taylor Lawan at a similar number, I would definitely explore that, you know, and I'm not advocating cutting uh, Charles. Cause I think, like I said, he had some mistakes at kind of glaring moments. He was nursing an injury the entire year and played through it. So I, I have a lot of respect for what Charles did. Um, and I don't think you'd necessarily need to move on, but you know, I've said this before on the podcast and it and it is a little bit heartless of me to say, but as a, you know, someone who's empathizing with the team and, and looking to win championships, you're always looking to upgrade at every position if the price is correct. And um, I would definitely, 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 definitely look uh, at this this price tag and see if the situation works for for Washington.
3: Uh, I also now have pulled up his pro football reference. He's listed as tackle his first year in Chicago. So he might have played a little right tackle right. as a rookie. Uh, but has played predominantly left tackle. Uh, which is always
2: a career. tough switch, you know, like you yeah. saw how teams – Batting out- righty are- versus batting lefty. Right, it's tough. So, you know, I'm not sure that's a feasible thing, but I would definitely – like I said, whether yeah. it's the right thing or not for him, I would definitely explore that. And because um, I think Taylor Lawan again, like I said, you know, he had the highest RAS score like ever in the history of the combine. I think it was a perfect 10, which is crazy to think about. RAS, raw athletic score. So, obviously, a tremendous athlete, a lot of upside recent yeah. history has not been kind of, yeah. you know. The question
3: is, but, that what, is he, what is he coming off the injuries? Um, sure. And, that's, right. and he, you know, Leno's, I think, a little bit older than Luan, but Leno's been healthy, relatively sure. speaking, uh, compared to the season-ender that Luan had. All right. Uh, So we will continue, obviously, to monitor that stuff and get into that deeper as we head towards free agency. But next, we are joined by NFL Network analyst Maurice jones Drew. Joining us now on Take Command, he is an analyst for the NFL Network. Played nine years in the NFL, and before that, uh, he played at a a very small football uh, school called called UCLA. Guys, did I get the uh, the letters right there? That is correct. Yeah. Okay, we was a teammate of uh, Logan Paulson. It says here Paulson. That is true. Yeah. It's Maurice Jones-Drew. MJD. Welcome to the podcast.
4: Oh, thank you, man. Listen, I'm not I I really have to say this. Only reason I did it because I saw Logan's name was on there. So (laughs) that's fine. I just made sure I I do the best I can uh, for my guy, man, because he see people don't understand what it was like at UCLA. It was kind of before all the rules and all that so many hours and all that stuff. And we put in a lot of work there and uh, very excited to see uh, Logan's career, how it how it ended up and how it went. And now you're on the media side. So welcome to the dark side.
2: Yeah, I mean, I followed you. I thought, man, that, Maurice has it figured out. I'm just give give it a nice little follow there. So yeah, you 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 paved the way, man. Let me tell you, I for once,
3: that. you know, Maurice paved the way for you as opposed to the other way.
2: <laughs> exactly, that's exactly.
3: true. Um, now, true. of course, there was another uh, pretty relevant person uh, who was with you guys at UCLA, and that is Eric Bien-Ami. Uh So I want to start talking a little bit about EB and uh, what we think it'll look like here with him as the OC. and Then we can circle back to some UCLA story time. But uh, I'll start with this simply, Maurice, like when when he got the job or or as it was kind of unfolding over the last week or so, what did you think about the fit from Eric's side of things and then from the Washington side of things?
4: Uh, Well, first and foremost, you know, there's been some chatter about him as a coach or not. And I I always tell people, like, if you've never been in a room with him, if you've never sat down, and, and don't get me wrong, he is hard. He's a hard coach. And I've never... Been around a coach in my whole career that hasn't been hard and, and and people haven't been successful. So if you look at his track record before he, I got to UCLA, he was with Chris Brown, who was up for the Heisman Trophy. He was his running back coach at Colorado. One of the reasons I ended up following him from Colorado to UCLA. Uh, from there, he goes and takes Chester Pitt uh, is it Chester Taylor, Chester Taylor, Chester who was Taylor. in Minnesota before Adrian Peterson. He has a Pro Bowl year. Right. He was a third down backup in Baltimore, goes to Minnesota, becomes a pro bowler. Obviously, Adrian Peterson goes out. Then he goes to Jamal Charles in Kansas City, where Kansas City struggled. And between that that stint from Minnesota to Kansas City, he was the OC of the University of Colorado. Okay, now the questions that now this is where I think things get a little tricky before I kind of get into why it fits. He called plays there. Um, They were in a rebuild situation. That class they end up recruiting ends up winning the Pac-12 maybe three, four years later. Right. So they were recruiting and building a a thing before he, they end up all getting fired. I think after two years at Colorado goes to Kansas city, Jamal Charles is still, I think has the highest yards per carry average of his career in the NFL. Um, And then last but not least, it's not by chance the Kansas city chiefs have been to five AFC championship games and three super bowls while him being the OC. Now, like I said, LaShawn McCoy has gone out and he says some things about him. He doesn't appreciate, you know, the way he's talked to people or Andy Reid kind of ran the offense and all those things. Like, that's what Andy Reid does. He's always ran the offense. He's always had his imprint on that. I've never not seen Andy Reid with a play call sheet in his hand. If it was Doug Peterson, if it was Matt Nagy, whoever the OC was at the time that he had, he always had a play call sheet in his hands because he helps develop plays. That's part of what happens. Um I think it was important for him to kind of branch away and show that he can obviously call plays by himself, but let's not take into consideration when Patrick Mahomes became the starter, Eric Airbnb became the OC at the same time. He won an MVP. He was super bowl MVP. He's done that twice. They've won two super bowls since he's been there. My question is, can Kansas city do it again without him being there? And And the reason I say that is he has a, a uncanny ability to hold everyone accountable i mean logan we've been in college together if logan didn't block his guy even though he was coached by one of the best tight end coaches that I, i've seen in the game and john Embry, eric benny will say something about it if i didn't do my no. job he would I mean, tell me about it no matter i was all american i mean he it doesn't matter if you're all pro it doesn't matter anything he's going to hold you accountable to doing your job and and that's what it takes to be a champion now you know some people can't handle that type of coaching and, and that's on that person but to me, I think you're going to see a new offense that is going to be crisp, explosive. Uh, the attention to detail—he doesn't leave any tone, any stone unturned. I mean, I mean, listen, we would be in UCLA in protection meetings for two hours, and we ran the football, right? We didn't, we yeah. didn't throw the ball at UCLA. We, if yeah. we did, we threw it to tight to a tight end on a seam route, alpha of play action pass. Like every stone was unturned, and so to me, um, yeah. I think it's a huge get for for washington i think now i don't know who the who the quarterback is going to be if it's going to be sam howard they're going to go in the draft and draft someone but it doesn't matter to me you have playmakers there and those guys are all going to levels going to be played up because he's not going to allow you to go into a a game unprepared for any um situation that the defense gives you so i i think it's a great fit i think it's a great fit for him to kind of run this show i think it's a great fit for washington kind of get some new blood in there and a different attitude.
2: My question is like, you guys are relatively close. Uh, you, you know, EB, but why is it taking him so long? You know, like I have a lot of respect for him. Like, why is it taking so long for him to get this opportunity? And this, this opportunity, which is kind of, you know, not a perfect opportunity, I guess.
4: The, um, I think um, there's multiple reasons, right? Like some people believe like, like, why hasn't he gotten a head coach? Like, I don't. Like, i can't answer that question obviously i've talked to multiple owners about this including jacksonville who hired doug peterson um and i i spoke highly like listen i know what he's going to bring and it's going to be an atmosphere of work it's going to be hard but it's not going to be something that you're not able to you'll see the results quickly right the fruits of your labor but it's on those guys to hire him, right that, like if i'm driving my if i have a car I want to put rims on it. I'm going to put rims on it. I'm going to do it. it's mine. So it's, it's their franchise. They could do whatever they want. And so I always tell people like they're going to hire who they're most comfortable with and who they feel most comfortable with. Are they right all the time? Obviously not, because every year there's seven, six or seven coaches that get fired. Some coaches off of one year, as we saw this year in Denver. Um, So I, I can't really tell you why the opportunity to be a head coach hasn't been there. But I, um, for an OC, it's not not a lot of running back coaches get that opportunity, right? They yeah. always give them the, to quarterbacks or even some tight end coaches are now starting to get those opportunities. But I always tell people, at least I was trained by him and other running back coaches to be the, the second quarterback, right? I played with mm-hmm. a lot of rookie guys. So I had to know as a running back, you have to know the running game, the blocking scheme. You have to know the passing concepts. Uh, especially if you're an Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey type, a Dalvin Cook type where you're lined up at wide receiver. So you have to have that knowledge. And that coach has to be able to to help you, obviously, as you go on. Um, if you watch Jamal Charles's career, you saw him put him out of the – they got him out of the backfield a ton. A lot of that was EB, you know, thinking outside the box. So I'm excited. I, I think more than anything, this is an exciting opportunity for him to be able to – you have Jack Del Rio and Ron Rivera who are all defensive coaches right like that is the, the brain trust in washington is defensive coach right defensive minded so you literally get to run everything um what i'm excited about is you know uh terry mclaurin um your two running backs in uh, gibson and robinson uh my guy from ohio state his, his name is slipping me right now um, uh curtis samuel curtis samuel right uh, Logan Thomas, if he's healthy and comes back, right? Like you have playmakers out there. You got to fix the offensive line a little bit, but you have the ability to be able to be explosive. I, I expect him to use Curtis Sam's the same way they use Tyreek Hill, right? Finding ways to get them going. And so I'm excited to see what his offense looks like without, you know, that umbrella of Andy Reed on top of it.
3: How do you think it will be different? Like, obviously he's going to take a lot from Reed, which is a good thing because Andy Reed's pretty freaking smart. Uh, but what do you think are some things that maybe he does a little bit differently or some of the core principles of his offense that if you're just a fan watching on Sundays or if you have a highly, more highly elevated uh, understanding of the game and you're breaking it down, that you will see in an Eric Bieniemy offense that is truly EB's as opposed to the... the kind of collaborative nature of what he's been running in kansas city i
4: I hope they bring the fullback back to be honest with you (laughs) like that to me everyone's in this 11 spread all this stuff like yeah you bring a fullback back and you start beating people up all of a sudden the passing game becomes simple because now they have to load the box you make it simple for any quarterback that comes in um i thought brian robinson did a great job of running downhill antonio gibson you can move him around you have two then you have uh Okay, I slipped my mind again. You're going to have to edit this. The smaller running back, I was with him. I just, D, I've been doing uh,
2: DJ Co- McKissick.
4: No,
3: or not JD, McKissick, McKissick or JD, Jared Patterson.
4: Jared Patterson. I trained Jared Patterson. Well, I Did trained you really? with him in Miami. We have the same agent. So you <laughs> have, even with McKissick, you have another receiver, a former receiver. Like you have players that you can utilize. But I think going downhill and really setting the tone of games, if you look at some of the teams that, that were more physical, like the Niners, for example. The Niners played with their third and fourth string quarterback and still were just wearing teams out because they were a physical team. And it's hard for teams to account for when everyone's in 11 and four receivers and whatever it may be. And so um, I think you'll see Logan Thomas line up a little bit wider than you know what you've seen just because of the Travis Kelsey element there. But um, to me, I, I think you're going to see a more physical. And, and I know Scott Turner is uh, a good friend of mine as well. He was more of a shotgun physical run, right? Shotgun runs. I think you're gonna see more outside zone, inside zone, maybe some ISO in there, uh, which sets up your play action pass and still the ability to spread teams out and attack them with bubble screens and slip screens and down the field shots.
2: Yeah, absolutely, man. And so, like, you know, everyone talks about EB and kind of how abrasive he is, and you talked about that. Like, I remember a story about you in college, and this was one of my most vivid college memories. We were doing blitz pickup. Okay, and you were out there and you went to the right guy and the offensive line screwed it up, right? They let it let someone go free. And I remember he yelled at you. Like, I've never seen anybody get yelled at. And this is like when you're up for like the Heisman. Like, you're in that kind of conversation. And he kind of just yelled at you in a way that I was like, what is going on? And I was like, why is he yelling at me? Are you going to the right guy? And, and then you were like, I went to the right guy. And he's like, I don't give an F, man. You got to make him right. And I was like, that is like the standard. He's got like this absolute crystal standard do you think everybody can handle that? I'm not sure.
4: I, I, and I, that's the thing. Like, I don't know if everyone can handle it, Um, but he's going to push you to your limits, right? He's not going right. to allow you to get complacent. I, I mean, I could tell you. I, so, the year before you got there, we played at Washington, right? Uh-huh. And I broke the Pac 12 record and almost set the NCAA record for rush, yards in a game. In a game, yeah. 326 yards in a game. And when we came back to the meeting, he was like, oh, this is going to be a quick meeting, short like nothing easy, you know, light. I was like, "Oh, cool. We gonna see all my good plays." No. He showed every every run play that I missed the whole where I could have rushed for 500 yards because the expectation is to be perfect. Right? Right? And if you're striving to be perfect, being great is nothing. And so mm-hmm. that was his mindset going forward and it look, I was a 17-year-old freshman dealing with this, but over time you understand to as I got older, I, I appreciate that. I'd rather mm-hmm. you tell me to my face what's going on instead of what some coaches do. They wait till they get in these other meetings with other coaches. Ah, well, he didn't do it. Like, tell me so I can try to fix it, you know? And I think a lot of players don't want to hear the truth sometimes, right? Because, Mm -hmm. like, well, I'm great. I've done this and I've done that. Like, no, I want to be perfect. I want you to tell me – like, my mindset was always about trying to be the best player, period. Not the best that I could be. I want to be known as the best. And obviously we had Reggie Bush in L.A. at the time. We had so many guys. So. There were some days that he got on my nerves a little bit, but I understood what the purpose of it was, right? It was to be the best ever. And so, this like you said, like the offensive line might have messed up and he'd have been like, "Well, you should have jumped on their guy." Yeah. Right? You saw your guy being blocked, you should have went to their guy, right? And so, the standard of expectation that he holds you to is is some people may say unreasonable, you know, <laughs> but you know, no, that, I I get you. I got you. Like again, like I always tell people Everyone that played in that backfield with me at UCLA or was coached by by B enemy maximized their career. Mm-hmm. Right. Michael Petrie uh was our fullback. He's a coach at he's a running back coach for the Falcons right now. Yeah. But he maximized his career. He yeah. was able to go to Chicago and play. He got in the coaching. He's able to maximize his career because he understands what it what the what the expectation is. And what people don't understand about uh EB, he played nine years in the league.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And he played behind some great players. And he had to fight and claw every day to try to be a starter for the chargers or the Bengals. He had to play special teams. He had to do all the things that we had to do. And he understood what it took to get, to be the best of the best. Right. And so that's how he coaches. And again, that's why you see production.
2: Yeah. And I think a lot of people like misconstrue that aggressive demeanor as like a kind of a maliciousness, but he does like legitimately care about you. And he's like trying to advocate for that.
4: Oh, Logan. A couple years ago, I was going through like kind of a, you know, you retire, you're yep. trying to figure life out. We all go through our little stuff. And I had saw him at the combine. He stopped working. Mm-hmm. This is what people don't understand. Like he was like, Hey, I want you to come hang out with me all week. So literally all week I'd wake up, I'd go with him, I'd sit in there with him and Andy Reid. I'd uh, so we go to lunch together, breakfast, dinner, and we would just talk. Because he cares about you as a person, right? Like, yes, he, you know, like I said, he, he got on me and rode me, but yeah. I'm like a son to him yeah. because our bond and how we, and that and how we work. And so I try to tell people like, yes, he's a, he has an aggressive nature, but we play an aggressive sport.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: I want my play caller to try to score every, like I've been around play callers that are like, Oh, we just want to score 21 points a game. Like who wants that? Right. I want a play caller that wants to go for 50, 60 points put your foot on their throat and crush it. Right. I want that type of mindset, but you just don't get that type of mindset by just calling plays and just being happy, go lucky all the time. Like you, you, you get those type, you get that attitude and your offense takes the demeanor of their play caller by the way they coach. And I think that that's something that, you know, I'm excited to see how the commanders handle it.
3: So that's really interesting that you mentioned that because I was listening to an interview earlier today with Brad Childress, uh, who's obviously the Vikings head mm-hmm. coach who hired a b or e b gave him his first job, uh, that Chester Taylor season, and then ultimately uh, the position coach for for Adrian Peterson. And he talked about how one of the things that the enemy will certainly understand is kind of his role within the the commander's ecosystem. This is a defense first football team. Valuing the ball, time of possession is going to be very important. It's how they won games when they did win them last year. Yet having the aggressiveness to be like, no, we're trying to score every drive, it seems like he has a really fine balance between those things. Cause hear you say one thing and then children say the other that seem to be opposed but but aren't. Like how does how does he balance that and kind of his understanding of, you know, what needs to be done beyond scoring points, but the 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 kind of place This offense will have within the commander's ability to win games.
4: Well, I think situational football, right? Each situation depends on a certain play call, a certain mindset going into it. Is it four minute mode? So we'll practice Logan to tell you. We used to practice four minute mode at UCLA live.
2: Yeah.
4: (laughs) I mean, guys are getting destroyed out there, right? Like, like it he harped on that. If it's two minute situation live. Like he understands the importance of the situations, goal line, short yardage, third downs. uh, We call it rundowns, first and second down, right? Uh, Depending on end of the half, end of the, the game, it's all situational based. And this is the thing. I could care less how great of a defense you have. Scoring points makes everyone happy, right? Like I just watched the 30 for 30 on the Baltimore Ravens. They went a whole month without scoring a touchdown. Like, come on, man. Like, what like I don't care how great of a defense you are, with if someone scores points and gives you a lead, you're happy about it. You're you're ecstatic about it. And so, yeah, you wanna you still wanna possess the clock. And I and I was with Jack Del Rio in Jacksonville where we'd go on 18 play drives, but we would score at the end. What's the purpose of going on an 18 play drive and putting the ball or missing a field goal or kicking a field we goal? We had a
3: couple last year. It doesn't go great. No, no. not so, good. Not good.
4: At the end of the day, you want to score points. And I think that's the biggest thing with the enemy is he's going to bring a mindset of, of, we're going to be aggressive in nature, right? You could be aggressive running the football. You can be aggressive yeah. throwing screens. You can be aggressive passing the ball and it doesn't necessarily have to be down the field. Right. But it may be a third and one. And you take a, you, you don't take a shot. You throw a 12 yards instead of going for a run on first down, right? Like, or on third down to get the first. And there's certain, situations that you do, um, that you go. And the other part is this, I love this about, uh, being he's not afraid to take something out of the playbook. Hmm. Right. Like he used to threaten us with that. Again, I, I shouldn't <laughs> say threaten, but he used to tell us like, yeah. well, if you can't get this done, we're not going to run it, yeah. which to me is the smartest thing ever in the world. Cause why would I put you in a situation to be bad, right? If we can't practice and run this play and have confidence in it as a group, not the group being the 11 guys on the field, but the 22 guys are on offense, right? Or how many ever guys you have suited up on offense. If I can't run that with my third left tackle or my left, my second left tackle or my third running back or whoever it may be, my backup quarterback, I'm not confident in that. And you saw that in Kansas city. When, when Chad Henney went in the game against, was it, it had to be the Jaguars. I think yeah, it was the Jags. it's only right against the Jags. He, he does this <laughs> right. The game is on the line and they come out and they run stick a simple play, but every play after that they ran, there's something that they were confident in that Chad can do. And it was the same plays that Mahomes could do. And so to me, that is, that's, I've been in, I've been with teams and I've seen plays and I've talked to players where offensive coordinators have a thousand plays in their play sheet and call 60 of them in a game. Yeah. Does that make sense? I'd rather go in there with 30 plays and call those plays three and four times in a row to get to 60. Right. And so I think it's important that that is, even though as a 17 year old, I called it a threat, but it wasn't a threat. It was like, if we can't do it, if I can't trust it, you can do it. I'm not going to put you in that situation to not be successful.
2: And there's better stuff, right? There's better stuff in your playbook that you feel good about. And I think to your point, I think like, even though they're, you know, scoring points is so important, like he, his aggressive nature in situational football, kind of what you were alluding to there it's also an advantageous situation for this offense, right? He's going to scheme up that third and one to put you in the best position to be successful. So I think even if you don't want to score a ton of points, like for whatever reason, you want to lean on the defense. Like he has an ability to kind of attack each segment of the game in a really high level way, which I think is going to be very, very valuable. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him here. I'm looking forward to talking to him a little bit. It's, it's an exciting opportunity.
4: I got to say this to you guys too, because it's so funny. Um, <clears throat> The staff that I first went to UCLA with, Kyle Shanahan was a GA. Dude. So he learned a lot of what we did at UCLA. He learned and still runs with the Niners. Um, Obviously, his tree comes off of that as well. The back of that, Tom Cable, one of the better offensive line coaches in the game, was on that staff as well. Obviously, you were there, Logan. Mm -hmm. Um, Dino Babers, one of the top... He had Syracuse rolling for a little bit. Go orange.
3: Finally, we hit my alma mater.
4: But what I'm trying to tell, like, (laughs) that staff... Yeah. And that knowledge that they those guys have, and the and then on top of the Andy Reid staff and the resource that he can reach out to and the people like it's 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 unlimited. And so I'm not saying he's gonna be the Niners offense. I'm not saying that, but you're gonna see glimpses of it. You'll see motions and shifts and maybe a fullback in there, some outside zone, more physicality. You'll see some play action pass off of that. Um and so to me, I, I think it's an exciting time to be a Commanders fan. I, I think um well, I, I think before it's an exciting time. <laughs> I think you got to figure out who's going to be your quarterback. I know Ron Rivera's <laughs> kind of told everybody that it's going to be Sam Howell. And I know he he played well in a game or two in that uh, at at the end of the season. But I think as these things go, you, you're going to be surprised by how this offense looks and how um, how fast they play and how how tough they are and how how physical they become.
3: Yeah, I said I said yesterday on the radio show this is uncharacteristically good for this organization. Like, there has not been a move that has me, at least as an an analyst, as excited and optimistic that they have made since I started covering the team in 2015. And that's, you know, multiple quarterback acquisitions. That's, you know, spending big on Landon Collins. Like, pick your coaches, anything. Uh, Maybe outside of firing Bruce Allen, there's been nothing that this organization has done uh, that is as good as this, at least on paper.
5: Selling a little or a lot
3: Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. I do want to circle back. This will be the last, like, commander's question. and we'll, I want to get an MJD story out of Logan and a Logan story out of MJD to wrap the, wrap the show. But let's pretend for a second that it is Sam Hal. Um, that's our best guess right now for who's going to be QB1. How does Eric manage that relationship? His OC life so far has been pretty blessed. He got to work with Patrick Mahomes. Um, but how does he then go from a guy he's been working with for with five years, by the way, as well, to a guy in his second year, very inexperienced, and, and obviously that was what Mahomes was when he, when he inherited him. Um, but how does he make that shift back and, and do it with Sam Howell, who is definitively not Patrick Mahomes?
4: Well, I'll say that I think when you talk about Patrick Mahomes, let's remember he kind of was out there as a gunslinger at first, right? Like he was just throwing the ball and they, from my understanding, there's a lot of corrections throughout the week of like, look, you can't do this, you can't do that, whatever it may be. Um, and they were able to kind of hone it in where he understood, okay, in these situations I can do this or, or that. I think it's important that he just gets to understand who Sam, Howe is and what he does best. Right. What he does well, we do, the, do that as much as possible. What he doesn't do as well, we try to make we try to make that better for him. Um, and, and so that's kind of what the quarterback play is. Now, you're gonna have to have some thick skin. You're gonna have to be tough. And so, I mean, part of that is gonna be like, don't make the same mistake twice, right? Like, and I think that's where the enemy kind of gets a little frustrated. Is well, I think we all would. Like, if I correct you, you sh- you're an adult. You shouldn't make the same mistake twice. Um, and so I think that's that's gonna be a good thing. I, I think tough love is always good like <laughs> i I've never been in a situation like again I've never I've played um if you look at okay, I'll say this, we don't talk enough about how Tom Brady and his relationship with Bill Belichick was, how it was tough love. Mm. right People say and I haven't never been in those meetings, but at the beginning of every year, Bill Belichick would show all Tom's terrible plays and and go and go at him and tom then leads them to a championship bruce arians another tough guy to play with well mfu up and down the field right yet he gets multiple head coaching jobs Mm -hmm. right he gets to do whatever like and so to me i think tough love is is how it works even with Mahomes, it's been tough love right i want to say who else who is the who is the Sean McVay, not as much tough love, but you guys had him there in Washington, right? He's like, still got a
3: high standard though. Like and, and high, it's yeah. not negotiable. It might be communicated a little differently, but like this high one my standard. Favorite, yeah, one of my favorite sayings ever that I've used in life comes from Sean. And it is the standard is the standard. And it yeah, just says dope. like it is non-negotiable.
4: That that is a that is a Mike Tomlin staple. That's some when you talk about the standard being the standard. Those are the greats. Talk about that. Mike Thomas never had a losing season. Sean McVay, I worked for the Rams. I mean, took that organization and flipped it like that, right? So mm-hmm. so I think that is, if you're Sam Howell or any offensive player coming in, that has to be your mindset going in is that, look, it's not going to be easy. But yeah. it's going to be worth it. <clears throat> yeah.
2: Real quick, Mo, do you think that his aggressive coaching style is conducive for a young quarterback? Or do you think it's like, sink or swim, or do you think he'll temper himself a little bit?
4: I think he'll temper. I, I, he's not like he was at UCLA, Logan. Trust me. I've,
3: no, I mean, <laughs> I still have, like <laughs> – I've, been, I've been Logan's scarred. He's, he's got nightmares. Listen, if we,
4: listen, it's so funny. I was in a meeting with him in Kansas City, and like I told you, he's – two things he doesn't like. He doesn't like being lied to, and he doesn't like – making this correcting the same mistake right yeah Mm -hmm. um kareem hunt this is early in the year kareem hunts there and uh i'm sitting in as a as an analyst now i'm just sitting in listening Mm -hmm. to the meetings i'm supposed to catch a flight i didn't move my flight back i'm hanging out with him petrie's there is in the summertime Mm -hmm. and uh i think kareem hunt fumbled so bennie was like hey man you know did we have any do we have a fumble today and they was like (laughs) oh no nobody said anything so i'm sitting there like oh I, i don't know i was working um we're watching the fan game film and the ball hits the ground. My heart dropped to my toes. I, was I remember saying. what it used to be like. <laughs> I remember what it used to be like. You know what I'm saying? And uh he turned, he paused the tape, he turned around, and I'm like, Oh, here it comes. I can't wait. <laughs> and I but mind you, I'm still I still feel like I'm 17, 18 yeah. in this thing. Like I'm nervous. And he's like, Why would you lie to me? that's a that's 200 bucks for lying to me put it on the just board just super chill, Golly, super that's, chill. So that's so different i said no way <laughs> <laughs> i stopped the meeting myself i said bro i'm done with this i'm leaving he was like no 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 i said bro i can't believe that's how you are now these guys have, <laughs> this is nothing I was, but but again like he's he understands the times have changed obviously the kids are different and there's certain ways to go at people, but every now and then you have to go back to like making sure people understand, like this is not okay. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that's the, with Sam, how him being so young, you can be harder on him because that's all he yeah. knows. Yeah, right. Yeah. When you get a guy four or five, six years into it, seven, eight, 10 years into it. Right. Like, let's say if you went and got Derek Carr, that's going to be tough. Cause Carr has been used to yeah. certain type of coaching, even though Gruden is a tough coach. And even though McDaniels is a tough coach and all this, like it's, if he hasn't been coached by B enemy or been coached by that type for long, it's tough, and that's why for Mahomes, you ever hear Mahomes talk about him? He's like, is he's EB?
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. right, right. Yeah. Like
4: this is all I know. I don't know anything else. This is this is what I know is the to be the league. So I think it's good for him there.
3: All right, uh, Logan, you get to go first. It can be a football story. It can be a whatever, whatever you want. Your favorite Maurice, like if someone's like, Hey, you played with Maurice Jones Drew at UCLA. What was he like? What's the story well, that?
2: Well, well, first off, if, if someone asked me that, I say Maurice was the most generous, kind person when it came to giving other people on the team credit. Like he was legit, like legitimately up for the Heisman, one of the most productive players in UCLA history. And in every post game interview and every interaction on the field, he was always like, Oh, it's the O line that gets that done. It's this guy that made this block. He never. Called it on himself, right? And that was something that I internalized early on. I thought, man, that if there's a way to be uh, as a as a pro as a teammate, it's like that. And so that's something that I always just internalized. And he probably didn't even know that, but like that's something I respected the heck out of. Also, two stories. One is Maurice had to get his his pants personally fitted for his legs because his (laughs) eyes are so big. And the other thing was, I remember was my freshman year we were playing. I I think it was Oregon State. And I was on the sideline. I'm getting ready to go out for punt. It's like third and short. And Maurice runs like an ISO, like he's talking about. And he runs in the hole. And it is the loudest hit I've ever heard in my entire life. And his helmet, I thought his helmet popped off. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, that's a crazy hit. It was a first down, whatever. And then he comes to the sideline after. I was like, oh, he must have got concussed. He must be dinged up. And he had freaking split the helmet right down the center of the (laughs) seam. Oh, my God. And then I remember him talking on the sideline to the trainer, and he was like, oh, yeah. And and the trainer was like, oh, man, Maurice, you did it again? And I was like, what? And he goes, yeah, I did this twice last year. And I was like, get the heck out of here. So if you want to know how built different Maurice Jones-Drew is, he just cracks helmets like it's going out of style. So that was something I was like, man, I'm playing with somebody, A, who's an awesome individual, and B, who runs harder than anybody else I've ever seen in my entire life. So...
4: I I'll tell you this about Logan. Cause it's not many stories. Cause I was, I think I was 20, 21 and Logan yeah, you was 18. Were, so we yeah. weren't hanging out at the same stuff. But if you didn't know, if someone asked, only reason I knew Logan to be honest with you is cause of two things. He came in, he might've been the strongest freshman I'd ever seen in my life lifting weights. And I was like, who's this guy coming in there? He never talked though. That's he never true. said two words. Yeah. And the only reason you knew he was in the huddle is because I would look at, like, I would try to look at everybody in the huddle, and he'd be in there. Like, I was like, bro, I used to ask Mercedes, like, do you talk to him? Like, I think Mercedes <laughs> talked to Ryan Moya more than he yeah. talked to you. It was very We quiet. had two freshman yeah. tight ends. Like, yeah. he didn't say a word, but you knew when he was dominating the guy, and Embo was, like, screaming and yelling for yeah. him. Uh, and then, obviously, I followed UCLA thereafter and was excited to see him get drafted. And then you were dominating people with Chris Horton for the Washington yeah, there we other go. team. Obviously, yes. before that, so <laughs> um, you know, I think it's it, more than anything. What I do remember about all those guys is that we all died together. Yeah, like no one knows what it's like to roll at UCLA at Drake Stadium. No, no one's like to run those stadiums in the morning. Yeah. No, no one knows what it's like to to work out with Doc Crease. So our our bond even though we may not see each other all the time, like this is the first time yeah. in probably 10 years I've seen him. Yeah. We still have that bond of, of going through <laughs> some stuff that not every person went through. And that Correct. respect is more than enough for me to, to do whatever it takes to help Logan out. Because uh, I felt I like, I felt bad for people when we were at UCLA, but it was, it was hard,
2: dude. So Craig's a strength coach. So Craig knows something. So we had a running workout. I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but it was 50 by 30 by 20 and it wasn't like oh that's one thing it was by 10 and that was the oh, first so half was... of the workout
4: and so then we just, do it again. oh dude we wouldn't we didn't warm up so yes. this is what we used to do he doc crease on like he'd every other day he'd have this thing rest his soul man still one of the greatest dudes out there yeah. we ran first of all the worst workout we ever did i don't know if you did this one we ran 100 yards and uh Strength shoes. Jumping shoes. Strengthening right. jump shoes. I've missed that one. Oh, like the, the old target. the
3: old ones that had like the little thing on it? Or... The thing in Platform. the front. Like the
4: little uh the little cylinder in the front. Yeah. You know, the jumping shoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah. ran a hundred yards in those. 20 oh. of them. Guys are blowing Achilles left and right. I think four yeah. or five guys went down. I was yeah. That, that was, was the first one.
2: And it and says, th-
4: and it says on the shoe Do Don't not run. run. Yeah. But we ran in them. On grass. <laughs> on grass, not on anything else um then the workout that that uh logan's talking about we would we would it was called he would call him i forgot what he called him but it was like 50 back 40 back 30 back 20 back 10 back He had to do that 10 times that was and one then, though so the, that was that one. was
2: the one that was part that was, that was, one was the wreck. first part and then he'd yeah. be like all right now we're done with phase one phase two is 20 by 15 by five for 20 and you i was just like this is so and you don't know any different but people are falling out people are throwing up and you're just out there just trucking away so when most of us like these workouts were crazy like they were crazy i remember we had a full sheet of lifting like compound lifts mm-hmm. and the auxiliary sheet would have been a, its workout in its own right so you'd be in there for four hours lifting weights and i had to go to class for two hours come back and i do the other half of the workout and they were like make sure you finish you had to sign a sheet in it was i probably was honestly nuts. benefited
3: you you didn't need to do four hours straight class no class yeah, it, nice it, it ended
2: up helping me out but it was it stocked at some i remember doing stadiums we had to do like 50 up in drake you know what i mean up and yeah. down 50 times which is a huge stadium and Dude, it was just like ran, that was what we did
4: okay so my freshman year which again like i said i'm so happy you weren't there my freshman year <laughs> after spring break we ran 130s 130s, Sprints. 130s, 130s. This is now, some of us went to Mexico. Some yes. people didn't do anything. We came back the first day, <laughs> 130s before a spring ball. Like it was just, oh, and then the weight. Yeah. What was his, Doc Crease would tell you like, I don't care. Put the weight on the bar.
2: Yeah. We had, he had like a sheet and it was like, it was like, you know, 400 pounds. And it was like, Doc, I can't squat that. He's like, yeah, you are. And you're like, okay. <laughs> so all all your buddies would be around the weight. Like, come on, man. Like.
4: It was it That's, was insane, man. And so, like I said, there's, there's, there's a, there's a probably there's probably about a hundred dudes. We're in a we're in a chat too, which is awesome. Yeah, uh, right. There's probably about a about a hundred hundred and twenty guys that, you know, if they ever needed anything from me because <laughs> we went through that, yeah. I'd be like, look, I'll I'll figure it out for you, because, uh, and then the, the best part about it too, most guys would complain. Most guys did complain, but like I told you, Logan never said a word. I I didn't even know Logan could talk at one point. Like I was just <laughs> like, who is this dude?
2: Correct. And I was also right? like, I just didn't want to get in trouble. Like that was like my whole thing. Cause like, that was like when hazing was still a thing and like Khalil, you remember Khalil bell? I'm sure. Oh you'd Oh my a- God.
4: Khalil bell. And
2: everyone would pick on him all the time and he'd get in trouble and they'd tie his clothes up and put in the laundry. And I was like, I just don't want to be that guy. So if no one knows I'm <laughs> here, I'm not going to get
4: picked on. <laughs> Dude, uh, Listen, I don't think, I don't think anyone, I would have never let anyone haze you or anything like that. You didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah, like we right. had a, we had like a quarterback uh, Osar who like Osar oh, so yeah. He just did the craziest stuff. Like this, so this is what I'm trying to tell you. Logan never said anything. He was invisible majority of the time, right? He sat Ser- like served in the middle. Well. Served me like, well. It served him well. <laughs> but We had some guys that would just say and do stuff. You'd be like, bro, you know what's gonna happen? Like, why are you <laughs> bothering these guys? And then and then and then people would come to me like why are you letting this happen I'm like listen I can only tell these dudes one or two yeah. things right like some of these guys were gangsters right so I'm like yeah. hey I'm Dude, trying to make it out of here too it was from it was, Crenshaw was,
2: Compton there's some yeah, guys there some, that would
4: we had some rough dudes so it was just like smart smart by you I was the opposite I was like Khalil Bill I just fought every day my freshman year like every day we got into a fight
2: well, that's why, that's why you and EB got along. You, you, you know, like EB, I feel like gravitates towards that type of personality. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like that kind of loud guy. Cause it's like, they can be loud together. They can fight and it just works out. You know what I mean? You're and friends. I, you can yes. be friends at
4: the end of the day. Like, <laughs> yes. it's like, Oh, we fought. It's okay. Yeah. Like we'll go back and it's, it's, it's weird, but I, I am excited to, I guess to bring it back full circle. I'm, I'm excited to see what kind of mindset this offense takes on. Yeah. Right. I know Scott Turner. He he's, uh, He's not as um, what's the word? It's not aggressive because he he has aggressive play calling, but he's not as uh, like demonstrative. Like yeah, not he's as, not. Like, yeah, it's yeah. not. He's not as loud, right? He's he's kind of like to himself too. He'll be cool. He'll talk, but it, it seems like very
3: different teachers.
4: Very di- now that's the one thing the enemy is, and and I didn't harp on that. He is a teacher. He's he's probably one of the best teachers I've ever been around in my life to this day. That's why I could coach now is because. Football is so simple to me. Mm-hmm. Kyle Shanahan and Eric Bienamy are the two best teachers I've ever been around. Um, a guy coming from a triple veer option in high school to learn the West Coast offense was not easy. Yeah. But in within a month, I was able to know every position, what everyone did. So expect it. Oh, that's the other thing, too. Expect to see everyone playing every position. Yeah. You know, very, very similar to what the Jags did with Christian Kirk and some of those other guys. You'll see a lot of that as well, so
3: very excited uh for that for sure uh maurice this is awesome Dude, uh thanks, really great to no have problem, you man. uh would love to have you back in the future and uh yeah please we'll-
4: hopefully th- hopefully things go well so when i come back i can <laughs> yeah. say i told you so yeah right no, so knock on hell wood means.
3: um and we'll all be in indy next week so if we want to get together and say hello and not run any sprints or lift any weights yeah. or anything
4: you I- know. i'll be in indy on monday so if you're out there just you have my you- number uh i don't have your number i'll get it after
3: yeah. Uh, it's, in, it's in the group chat, Logan. It's oh, in the I'll group get, chat. For I'll, sure. I'll get go. it there, there. you go. <laughs> it's, the ni-
4: it's the only 904 number in the group chat.
2: Okay. I got it. Nailed
3: it. <laughs> All right. Uh, Maurice Jones, Drew, everybody, uh, with us on Take Command.